Welcome to the Infertility Podcast. I'm Candice. And I'm Daniel. Grab a biscuit because we've got the tea on all things infertility. If you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. This helps others find our podcast and get even more information about coping with infertility. Also, if you'd like to stay up to date with our story, you can follow me on Instagram at Operation Baby Bump. Have a great topic for our podcast? Email us at thevanwades at gmail.com. Hey guys, before we jump into this episode, I just want to apologize for the poor sound quality. When I interviewed this person, um, I interviewed her over the phone, and I clearly did not do an adequate job of holding my phone up against the microphone. So please bear with me. I've tried to fix it where I can, Um, but this story is very interesting. It's unlike anything that I've shared on this podcast before, and I hope you enjoy. Um, how are you doing? Ah, I'm doing good. Sorry, I'm upstairs in our attic kind of bedroom. Yeah, we got a lot, a lot of snow. I want to say like five to six inches of snow. So I'm so jealous. Send the cold our way. Yeah. If it's warm up here, it's cold in the lower 48. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't say your name. Um, do you want to okay. remain anonymous? Do you want to pick a fake name like Brittany or Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, I, I think I would like to pick a fake name just okay. because, um, you know, my I, I'm also really a private person. Like, yeah. I haven't ever posted about this. And I've kind of hinted about it, but... Um, I don't know. I just was really nervous. Yeah, well, we all have our phases of being open and, you know, some people just like to remain private and that's perfectly fine. So what would you like your fake name to be? If you could be anyone. Well, um, I think I'll actually respond more to a K name anyways. Like Okay, like click, click, cluck, cluck. Yes, I was like, um, maybe Kat. Is Kat. Or Kate. Okay. We'll do Kate. We'll Kate. do Kate. Okay. Okay. Yeah, All right, Kate. Kate. Okay. Nice to meet huh? you on the phone, Kate. I feel like I feel like a celebrity. I feel really famous. <laughs> you are famous because you're on my podcast. So where exactly are you located? So um, I am outside of Denali National Park. So I'm, I'm actually really is, nervous to like. And that is where. So if you look at the state of Alaska. Most people are familiar with Anchorage. So Anchorage yeah. is about, uh, depending on road conditions, four to five hours south. And I'm on the road system, which is good. But some people live in villages and you can only fly there or, you know, or there are towns, but they're off the road system. The road system. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of <laughs> like, I never think of roads like as a road system. I just like get on the road and go somewhere. So, yeah, yeah, first world it's, it's, yeah. problems, I guess, <laughs> or first world and, blessings, I would say. Yeah, it's, I mean, well, I didn't grow up here, so, and I'll tell a little bit more about that, but yeah, because um, Alaska's, you know, a lot farther from a lot of 
building resources and the you know now they get more uh, shipment but um there was the parks highway i, I don't know the whole history but the parks highway i want to say that was completed in the early 70s and before that was the alaska railroad so people use that a lot and then and there were just different uh, trails from earlier settlements and of course native trails you know migration routes yeah Wow. The only thing I know about Alaska is the Alaskan Bush People show. <laughs> um, I've never seen that show. My husband started watching it years ago, and um, I would walk into the room and, like, catch the tail end, and I would be like, these people are insane. What, like, they are all just insane. So I kind of started watching it a little bit, and then I think the mom got really sick and she like did not want to move to closer to a hospital and I was just like these people are insane like they're insane like they just want to die out in the wilderness <laughs> like they don't care about their health or anything um so Kate tell us a little bit about yourself I guess start with where you grew up you said you are not a native Alaskan so where did you grow up yeah so I grew up in Arizona, I'm actually Native American. I'm Navajo, so I grew up on the Navajo Nation. And most people assume like four corners. And I'm actually my hometown was about 80 miles south of that. So, so nice. I grew up there, and then I moved on to Tucson for for undergrad, my first career as a teacher, and then I went back to graduate school in Tucson and. Um, I left teaching. I wanted to do something else. So it's like, I want to become a librarian or I want to work in museums or archives. Wow. And, yeah. And so that kind of led me to Alaska. I actually did an internship with another park and I really loved it up here. And for a long time, I, I was just trying to get away from Arizona because um, it was just hot and I just wanted to live somewhere different. So you were like, I'm going to go to the coldest place I can think of <laughs> besides Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because I mean, you know, sunny and clear and 110. Yeah, it's old. Right. Well, yeah. And it's just hard. It was really hard for me. Yeah. But being cold. I, I mean, being cold can be hard too. But it's just so beautiful here. I, I really wanted to be near mountains and mm -hmm. and in a place that wasn't completely developed even though it's starting to happen. I mean, parts of the res, believe me, are not really developed. The one thing I'll mention is that um, you'll hear terms that are probably only specific to Alaska, like um, dry cabin or um, <laughs> we talked, you know, the road system on the mm -hmm. road system. I think I've heard I of a dry cabin only because I watch a lot of house hunters. Oh, and okay. um, <laughs> I'm sure I've seen one. Uh, where people are like moving to Alaska for a job and the wife is like, I have to have outlets. I can't live in a dry cabin. <laughs> yeah. Know, so there, like that. Yeah. There are two different types. So we had, we definitely had electricity and internet, but because it's really expensive to install plumbing and because you don't want it to freeze, mm -hmm. um, it's easier just to have uh, a septic system or if you don't have that, an outhouse. So you do you know, have like so a well like, to get water? We do now. Um, we, we, we're in our house now uh, a year and 
coming up on year and three months. But before that, from 2013 to last July, we were in a dry cabin. So we didn't have running water. We had to haul our water. So we had these five-gallon blue cubes of, you know, jugs. And then we go to our community center, fill up the water, haul it. So that means you have a sump bucket. (laughs) Wow. So all your gray water, wastewater, you collect in the sump bucket and you throw it out. And depending on your outhouse situation, some people will dump it down the the hole. Um, What we ended up doing was... um, because we had a wood stove, so we built like a little like ash ring, and then we would pour the sump there, and it was a whole process. Wow, that's <laughs> but, so but interesting. <laughs> wow. And growing up on the res, I think definitely prepared me because it was normal, and I say that because um, a lot of people on the res still live without um, running water electricity and uh, it's just a big issue with the with the res so, so one year my mom came came up uh, real quick and I was like mom we don't have running water you know we have an outhouse and she's like I grew up like that that's not a big deal uh-huh. so I was like, okay <laughs> so how did um you and your husband meet yeah so we met here in Alaska um I left Arizona February 2012 um I was able to get a job as a student, and I saw him. <laughs> you saw him from across the room, and sparks flew. From the, yeah, from the hallway. <laughs> he was doing data work on his computer. I was like, oh my gosh, who is he? And we didn't meet for a while, because, you know, I was... So, if you're not familiar with seasonal park living, um, they usually, what they call, they have seasonal housing. So, I was in seasonal housing. And so, and he lived in a different community. So we worked together and, you know, gradually we got to know each other. And the summer season, so usually mid-May to mid-September, is crazy busy and our population just explodes. And so there are more parties and everything. And yeah, and so we had a friend at that time. And I told her, yeah, I like him. And, And he was just very, like, I needed to do a lot of the make the moves. Yeah. You know, and I was trying to be respectful, not trying to be crazy. We ended up talking, and she invited him to dinner. And so all the hotels are open. And we're like, let's go have dinner at this hotel. We ended up buying a bottle of Patron, and um, it was summer solstice. So summer solstice is big up here because we have, like, 22 hours of daylight. It's so beautiful. It's 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 such a magical time. And so we're sitting by this river, sipping Patron. It's like... 12, you know, in the morning, it's just a rosy glow sky. Oh, so beautiful. And, we're, and we just sat there and held hands. And I was Aww. like, oh, I like it. Sounds like, like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then like a couple of days later, other part of Alaska, like, hey, are you going to town? Yeah. Can I catch a ride? I need to get groceries. Yeah, you can come. So uh, we now have a local grocery store, but back then we didn't. So yeah, to go to town, which is, you know two and a half hours away. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the whole ordeal. Like get groceries, you know, you have to do all your appointments and everything. Yeah. Full day. And then we just, yeah, after that, just started hanging out more. At that point, I didn't know if I was going to stay on because I was seasonal. And so we just kind of like, well, this is the relationship. And if it, if I'm able to stay, I'm able to stay. And 
we continue it. <laughs> and so, yeah, and then I was able to stay and I applied for the job and got it. And so that's kind of like a big like fast forward. But before all of that, Ah, uh, this may be a shock to people. I was a virgin until I was 33. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, I, I was a part of a, a church. It was a Christian church. And as you can tell, like, they definitely preached abstinence. So, yes. And then in high school, um, so this is where, like, I feel like my story is definitely different. Um, you know, I had friends in high school that were teenage mothers. There was definitely a lot of like there's just a lot of negativity which is you know it's hard like when you grow up in a community that has a lot of high poverty um high domestic violence substance abuse yeah um getting pregnant at a young age is not the best thing for you and and you know unfortunately there's a lot of um sexual assault and i'm really sorry if that like is triggering anyone so from a young age um you know i grew up in a home with domestic violence and there was some alcoholism and, um, and I just kind of was like, I do not want men a part of my life. And so I was, I always had a fear of men and I just didn't want, I didn't feel like I could ever trust anyone. Right. And, and um, I didn't want to be alone with men. So throughout college, like I was very aware of, you know, situations where I was like, I'm not going to go party. I'm yeah. not going to. Like not Being putting in yourself in compromising situations. Yes, yes, and and a, a part of me too is like I really wanted to graduate from college. Um, you know, that's a big thing. There's a high dropout rate for Native American students. Just a lot against us. It feels like suicide. All these things. And so, in my mind, in my young self, I was like, okay, you know, these Christian people want to be my friend, and they seem like good people, and and I always felt like I was just like a good person like a good a good girl you know like I'm gonna try and treat people right and so the other part of that though was that um, with this church and I'm no longer a part of it and a lot of people I know are no longer a part of it uh, you know it, there was a lot of controlling um, things like kind of how you dressed and um, who you were you know who you could talk to like are you sure you should be talking to that guy? Like, what if he is so-and-so someone's future husband? So there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, um, in a way, like you were more sanctified. If, yeah. if you knew you had a word from God that you were going to marry this person and that you were ready for marriage uh, and you were even more sanctified <laughs> if you had mm -hmm. children. So there was just this whole thing. And it, so that kind of impacted me. So you have me, like, I don't want to be with, men because men kind of scare me I just want to graduate college and you know get out of poverty and have a different type of life and I'm with these Christian people and I'm like is this my husband or not so I kind of went through a lot of different uh like situations in terms of questioning um if I was even going to get married or have a relationship so fast forward I graduate college I get my first teaching job and I was like, I really felt like, well, I'm going to go back to the res and teach up my old high school. I felt like that was the right thing to do. And so I do that. And, and this whole time, so I'm in my mid-20s, and I'm like, what's wrong with me? No guys like me. And, or the guys that like me are really creepy or they're really old. 
And so, you know, I just really, um, I had friends and everything, but I just focused on being a teacher and tried not to get down on not being in a relationship, you know, and through this whole time, you know, my sister had two children, my older brother, I think at that time had four. So young children, babies have always been a part of my life in a way, like, I had these experiences of like, yeah, I was in, I've been to the emergency room with my nephew and when they're crying and they just keep vomiting. Um, you know, I took care of my niece for a couple of months because, um, health, you know, I mean, sorry, childcare was really expensive for my brother. And so my mom and I took care of my niece. She was a baby. I took care of my nephews during the summers. So in a way that that's just kind of normal for me, like, um, at least in Navajo culture, your siblings' kids, you know, are kind of like your kids. We we don't normally say like, oh, my second cousin or my great aunt. It's just, that's your grandma, that's your auntie, mm-hmm. that's your grandpa, that's your cousin. So you, you have lots of cousins. And when or, you, you know, were taking care of your nieces and nephews, did you feel like broody? Did you feel like, oh, I can't wait to have kids or like I'm meant to be a mom? Or do you feel like you were always like maternal or is that something that when you and your husband met, that was like a conversation you had? Yeah, I, I think deep down, I just always had the assumption like, yeah, I'm going to be a mom and I'm going to be a good mom and I'm going to take care of my kids, you know, um, and coming from a, a home that had um, domestic violence and substance abuse, I just was very aware of, you know, seeking out help and therapy and, and just like, you know, I was very proactive, like I'm going to I'm going to do what I can to be a mom that really cares and nurtures her children. And not to say that my parents completely, you know, or didn't do that. There were just some, some times when it, of course, <laughs> it's not ideal. Right. So when my, when my husband and I got together, we, we did have a conversation about kids. Because by then, you know, so when I got up to Alaska, I was no longer a virgin. Thank God. <laughs> God's like, what? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I got done with that because I just needed that done with my life, that virginity thing. So when I got up here, um, we talked about, yeah, like we're, we are not going to have children right now because at that point I didn't, I wasn't really sure about my job and his job was temporary for a couple of years and, and we just really wanted to get to know each other. And through that whole time, um, I, I wasn't on birth control. The only time I was ever on birth control was um, in my early, early 30s, and I, I, I had some acne issues, and so they put me on it for a bit, and, and I didn't like it, so I just went off of it. So yeah, that's what they generally did back in the day for acne, is throw you on birth mm-hmm. control. They did that to me, too. <laughs> yeah, so we kind of always knew that it was, like, every month there was the potential for me to get pregnant, and... At first, you know, those early years, it was like, well, if I'm not pregnant, that's a good thing because I'm trying to figure out this new career. Our relationship is kind of new and we're living in a dry cabin. (laughs) So by then, you know, we move in together. We are dealing with, you know, hauling wood, getting wood, starting a fire in the morning, having a fire at night. Um, So there's another type of um, fuel or heat source that's called a Toyo stove. And you have like fuel oil. So we, we decided not to do fuel oil because we had a really small cabin. So we just stuck with the wood stove. So that's why we were constantly making fires. So fall 2016, we decided to get married, but 
we're like, let's get married a couple years out. And neither one of us actually proposed to each other. We just were always like, oh, you know, I want to spend my life with you. And yeah, I want to, I want to grow old with you. And that was like, you know, yeah, one day let's get married. Okay. And, you know, just talking about what marriage meant and why that was important to us. And so we waited, we pushed it out because um, we had friends getting married in 2017. And um, again, summer season it's hard to get away from Alaska in the summer at least for us at least for my husband with our jobs are a little bit more demanding during the summer season so we pushed it off so in February 2018 I found out I was pregnant and it's crazy like I I had gone away for quilters retreat and I just kept feeling weird and and this whole time you know I learned about OPKs and I learned about um, my temperature and I had I was tracking things on an app so I I knew about that and I knew about infertility and IVF because I had a friend go through it and she just had a baby um, she had gone through rounds in her early 20s and that wasn't successful and she went through it again and now she has uh, a child so I knew about IVF and we had talked about like cervical mucus and the whole process and you know and <laughs> And me just being like really curious, like yeah. I started researching, what is all this? And so, uh, so I knew about that. And I also knew that, um, that age was a factor, but, uh, And at this time, how old were you? At this time, I was 40 years old. Okay. <laughs> when you got pregnant. 40. Yeah. So, um, I come back from the quilters retreat and I'm just feeling off. And, oh my gosh, I swear, one morning I felt this cramp. And I was like, that was implantation. And and it was like a weird um, Saturday where my husband had to go into work. And I had all these pregnancy tests because of the OPKs. So I took a test. And it was, there was a faint line. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then proceeded to take five more tests that same day, which I wasted. <laughs> As tests. we do, I shouldn't have. <laughs> so I send a picture, and we're like, "Oh my gosh! Like this changes everything." Because we were, um, we had set the wedding date to September thirtieth, and if you do the math, I would have been in my last um, month um, if that pregnancy had, you know, succeeded. So I. Um, proceed to set an appointment I, I go in and, and and during this time actually with my job I'm furloughed so my job I don't uh I can't work for like whatever a pay period two pay periods so I'm furloughed I'm in non-pay status so I go to town and I say I believe I'm pregnant and so you two know hours we do, away and I, you had to go to town. two hours away two hours oh, away god can you imagine guys <laughs> the people listening I mean we take a a pregnancy test and then we go into our doctor and they're like you know five minutes away 30 minutes away to get a blood draw and you have to like drive two hours <laughs> to get to see your doctor oh god yeah. and so um they draw my blood and they're like yeah you are and your due date is october 23rd my birthday is October 21st. And and so everything, like, just, like, felt like, yeah, this is right. But I also knew, like, ooh. Um, and, you know, and the doctor was like, how is this your first pregnancy at 40? Yeah. <laughs> and that's when I was like, 
let me tell you about my history. <laughs> and so he was like, wow. And, you know, and, and there were some stereotypes there because, unfortunately, he's like, I just know a lot of Native women in their young, you know, as teenagers and in their 20s that are already having, like, a lot of children. And I was like, well, you know, I, I see that, too, but that's not my story. Right. So he was like, well, we're going to monitor you more often because you're considered high risk. And I was like, yeah, I understand. And my, and my sister-in-law, you know, she had a baby, her last child at 38. And, you know, you hear those stories. Like my mom is like one of 15. And she's like, oh, my mom had, you know, your uncle, the youngest. She had him at 42. Like, you know, so there's all these stories. Oh, no, you're okay. But I was like, well, I don't know. And so after it's confirmed, I call my sister. I'm in the parking lot and I'm crying and I'm like, I'm really scared. Aww. I don't know what's going to happen. And she was like, it's going to be okay. It's, um, you know, we're really, we're here for you. We're and you know, my family is in Arizona, you know, just, just let us know if, we can, if there's anything we can do. So I, you know, I finally go back to work and I tell my supervisor and I said, hey, I'm going to have to change my work schedule because, you know, I found out I was pregnant and, uh, you know, just going to town takes a whole day. And so she was like, hey, by the way, I, I'm pregnant, too. And oh we're like, oh, my, my gosh. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, oh, what? And so, you know, a couple of weeks go by. We're in the dry cabin. And I say, we cannot raise <laughs> we cannot raise a baby in this dry cabin, even though there have been women and families that have done it for millennia. Yeah. I'm like, I am not doing that. <laughs> I'm not that hardcore. And so I was on Facebook and housing here in this community is really hard to come by. And I said, we're going to go see this house on Saturday. So we come, we look at it. We're like, yeah, it's cute. We like it. And uh, the the couple, you know, call us back. They're German. They're, they're leaving the States to go live back in Germany. And they say like, how interested in, you know, are you in this house? Because we have four other people interested. And I was like, we are interested. We will put in an offer. <laughs> so we, we moved forward on it. We were like, we, we need to move into this house. So if anything, we feel like that the pregnancy helped us get our shit together. Right. <laughs> buy a house. And, you know, we were renting. So we start moving forward with buying the house. And then, uh, you know, every week they're like, come in for more blood work, sharing, um, I want to say about, eight weeks well seven weeks I was just I woke up one morning and all my symptoms were gone and I was like oh my god my symptoms are gone and I told my husband I told a friend at work and I said I don't think I'm pregnant anymore and she's like and you know and I'm like researching everything online yeah and then um I had a my first um scan the next Wednesday and let's say okay and so I was looking up, like, what to do if you're going to miscarry. And, you know, there's some women in my community that have had children. So I asked some of them if they had, like, heavy pads in the event. I needed some. And um, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know. And it was really hush. Like, not a lot of people knew I was pregnant. And so but I lost my symptoms. And then I had a week. And then I, um, I you know, I would go skiing every day, cross-country. Skiing while and you're pregnant? Was, well, I mean, you're, it's really early. So, and I don't, I mean, I do, I, it's flat. I still don't think <laughs> I, you should I be not. skiing. <laughs> I mean, I'm no expert. But... Yeah, yeah, no. Like, they told me, like, don't fall or anything. And so, oh, like, okay, yeah, yeah, don't just, fall. You know, just, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm so, so glad anyway, you said it's that. Like, it's like walking. I'm, I don't go fast. And 
I'm very careful. Like I, I grew up, I, mean, I, I can barely I, walk I, I down the street up. without falling, <laughs> let alone so, going and, skiing. So, and the other option was um, to ride my fat tire bike, but my doctor was like, "Don't," because you have, you know, you'll fall harder. I'm do. sorry, so he like, wouldn't yeah. let you ride a bike, but he'd let you ski. <laughs> Cross <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> Who is he? <laughs> I want to see his credentials right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so i go out skiing and it was snowing and i said goodbye to the to the, to the baby and you just knew yeah. i just knew and i said like you know i wish she could have stayed and, and i i didn't understand why um and then that following week you know i just like okay i have my appointment next week and that sunday i started bleeding and it was um was different like it was like strong period blood and I told my husband like we have to go to Fairbanks tomorrow I, I'm having a miscarriage and he's like no no it'll be okay it'll be okay I'm like yeah but I we have to go to town so we go to town they you know they bought me up so they can do the scan and they said yeah you're measuring at six weeks instead of eight and they took my blood and my levels had already um the HCG had already dropped significantly, and and they said, "Oh, yeah, you're you're gonna have a miscarriage, and you know these are your options. You have a DNC, you could um, take the medication." And so <clears throat> I said, "Well, you know, I, since it's already started, I'll just go the medication route." So we booked a hotel, and it was ugh, such a like. Oh my god. Ugh. It was horrible. It was it was so bad. And it's crazy because you remember all these things. Like, I oh, remember yeah. the song Every that detail. was playing. Yeah. I remember the hotel, and I probably won't stay at that hotel again right. for a long time. I remember the movie we watched as we waited for the medication to to take effect. And and we thought, you know, we, we would possibly be able to save it. So we, we found some birch bark, and we were like, well, maybe we can try and bury um, and then by then, you know, we called it blue because it would have been the size of a blueberry. Mm. So we, uh, I just had this, <laughs> it was terrible. It was just so much blood. And then I was mm. vomiting. And <sighs> It's and... been a long time since I've taken that medication. But I, I do remember not only, I believe I've said this before, but it's like, not only have you lost your child, um, what would have been and what never will be, but you have to, like, pass your child in such a gruesome way, and you have to just let it happen, because that's how it happens. Nobody can, I mean, you could have a DNC, but I don't know, I, I didn't do the DNC, I did, I did it the natural way with the meds, and I almost prefer it that way, because I was, like, with it, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I was there. Yeah. And so, yeah, so all that happens, and I have to tell my supervisor, and, and I took time off, and her pregnancy is, you know, going well, yeah. um, and, and she's younger than I am, and it was just so hard, mm-hmm. and I remember one day, we were like, oh, let's get out of the house, so we went skiing again, and, and, and through that, you know, we had some family calling, they're like, hey, what's happening with the wedding? And we're just like, oh, we still have to plan this wedding. And we had a hard talk, like, okay, like, at 12 weeks, we'll let people know, 
you know, that we're pregnant. But by then, you know, um, his family's mostly from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. so they wanted to buy tickets, and I had people asking about hotel blocks, and oh, <laughs> and so, um, and then, you know, I just let people know eventually, like, hey, this is the situation, and I, and I, I was very, like, I do not want to talk about the pregnancy loss at all. Right. And we're going to have the wedding. And I just, you know, the, one of the, the main decisions was like, I want to see my family. I wanted us all to be together to celebrate this new chapter. Even though David and I already considered ourselves married because we were together for so long. Right. And when I went through the miscarriage, I actually called my sister and I said, like, I cannot tell mom because my mom and I are close, but, you know, having your mom cry or just, you know, your mom heart breaks about oh, yeah. something. And I was like, yeah. I, I can't handle that. And right. I need you to tell mom and I need you to tell, we have two brothers. I need you to tell everyone. And I don't want anyone calling me. Like, don't want to talk about it. So I was really thankful for my sister and, and everyone was just really sad. Yeah, You know, my little brother was, my little brother was so happy when he first found out. He was like, oh, I just, I have a really good feeling and I'm just, I'm really happy for you. And it just, feels like a big disappointment yeah so and through this whole time (laughs) I I do see a a counselor I do see a therapist and we you know we've talked a lot of a lot about a lot of different things so I am very aware of my mental health and and I do see a therapist regularly so we move forward with the wedding we move into the house there's a new chapter you know one day we're just we're sitting here. It's funny because this home, they, they call it the blue home. It's painted this crazy blue color. It's such a beautiful view of the mountains. And we were sitting here. We're like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, thank you, you know, blue for coming into our lives again, you know, because we wouldn't have gotten our shit together. Right. And so we do feel like we do, um, you know, there was a purpose to to what happened. Absolutely. Um, in May of 2018, I had to have a DNC. Because I, I go through the whole um, miscarriage, and I think everything is out, but it turns out I still had tissue, yeah. and I had a abnormal bleeding, and then my doctor was like, um, he sent me in for a scan, he's like, you know, so now my body is feeding this tissue, right. and he's like, we need to remove it, because you can get an infection. So I was like, okay, so I had a DNC, and... Uh, and so when I when I was thinking about the cultural implications, um, I was really scared to have the procedure. Um, and so I told my doctor, you know, so at first I said, are you okay? Because my appointment was in the afternoon. I said, do you feel okay? Are you tired? He's like, I'm not tired. And I said, do you feel you can do this procedure? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yes, thank you for, because t- I, you know, I'm just like, I just want to know. And then I said to him, I do not want to be sterilized. And he's like, I'm not going to sterilize you. So my, on my dad, my mom's side, her dad's youngest um, sister, so my grandma, um, so her daughter, we could just consider her my aunt. Um, she was sterilized and she only had one child. On she didn't purpose? know on purpose. And, and, you know, and it happens to different native women. Doctor? Yeah. So, um. You know, so this would have been in, like, probably the mid-60s. Um, there was a lot of forced sterilization of Native women. 
and it still happens sometimes and like you'll hear stories in Canada or you know so I was really scared of that and I was like don't tie my tubes don't he's like I'm not gonna do that you know I, I I'm not gonna do that and you can trust me and I was like okay um so I have the DNC and it takes my body probably about six months to get back to normal. I had just a lot of residual cramping, like my periods are weird. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, what's wrong with me? What is going on? And I talked to my doctor and he was just like, it's, you know, it's normal. They did another scan. He's like, everything looks normal. It's just, it's your body is just responding yeah. to to this this way. I'm like, okay. And so we have the discussion about children. And he's like, well, with your age, if you really want to have children, I suggest IVF. And you can't do that in Alaska. You have to go to Seattle. Is that right? Yeah. You don't have any IVF in Alaska. Well, yeah, no, like they wow. don't. I mean, you can do it. You can do an IUI, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" But you guys have like snow. You could just <laughs> stick the embryos in the snow, in the snow, and you wouldn't have to pay for like cryopreservation, like I do. I know. There's permafrost. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> you've got built-in so, banks everywhere. So. So we decide not to. And through all of this, I forget the timeline now, but uh, my husband, you know, he goes in to do um, a semen analysis. And they tell him, you have to wait five days. And we heard three days, five days. And so we're like, okay, five days. We go, he does the sample. We get a call while we're like doing our, you know, our errands. And they said, you're going to have to come in and give us another sample. Um, you didn't put the lid on right and the sample oh. spilled. Oh, God. Oh. And I was like, ah! That's like so everybody's worst nightmare. Oh, no. And he was pissed. He was like, those people, they were joking around in the lab. They had loud music playing. And, you know, he's a very thorough in life. He's very yeah. methodical. And I was just like, Oh my God. And so like, even if the lid, even if he didn't put the lid on very well, like even if it was ultimately his doing, what are they doing with the sample that it spilled? (laughs) Like, what are they doing? Oh, so we just were like, did it spill on somebody? Cause like, I want to (laughs) know if it spilled on somebody. And so I asked, I'm like, give me their number. I'm going to cuss them out. He's like, no, just let it go. I was so pissed. And so we just decide, like, okay, like, let's just stop on trying to have a child because there are, it was just a lot of frustration and a lot of heartache. And yeah. so we're like, okay, we're just going to stop. And so we get married. We have a great time. We you know, we do the, a lot of, uh, we stayed in New Mexico, so we, excuse me, we hiked around and camped, and it was great. And then we come back, and um, uh, we go to visit his family for the winter in Wisconsin, and, like, everything is kind of normal again. And then this past spring, same thing. 
and you know we were tracking and we're like okay let's just try again on our own <laughs> my poor husband i was being like so irritable like such a bitch and he was like you should take some of your progesterone cream because that like <laughs> oh my calms God. me down he's like are you taking that i was like ah! and i just felt like just so annoyed i was so annoyed with him and I was really, really cold, and I was wearing, like, my house coat, uh, my shawl, like a hat, and I was under all the blankets. I'm like, what is going on? Am I getting sick? And I was like, oh, my God, I should take a pregnancy test. And I was pregnant. And, um, and this time I was more like, okay, I'll take another test this evening, I'll take a test tomorrow, and I'll take a test on Monday to see if the lines get darker, and they weren't getting darker. And so I knew, you know, it was going to be what we call a chemical pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But I wanted it on, I wanted it documented. So I called the, um, the hospital and they said, well, there's a clinic. That's it's smart. only an hour away. Yeah. So I go to the clinic, they draw my blood and they said, okay, you know, <laughs> it's so stupid though, because I should have just went to town. The, the clinic was like, okay, this is going to go on the town truck tomorrow <laughs> and you'll oh know it two days and I was like I should have just went to town this is ridiculous so they told me to come back in you know later that day that Friday of that week so I go back in they're like no your HCG is back to zero and I said well what was my initial you know number they said five and I was just like uh five and these two nurses were there with me and they were very helpful and they're like how's your heart and are you okay and then the next room is this screaming child oh. <laughs> just crying and he must have been sick they're like I'm really sorry about this this kid I'm like don't worry don't don't worry about it like this whole it just feels so ridiculous but also just you can't help but laugh right. and then cry and then <sighs> laugh and cry and be, I'll be okay so <laughs> so where I'm at now is um I'm gonna be 42 in a couple of weeks, and I think I think I've really made peace with uh, possibly not having children. And like everyone else, I get the, the "Are you going to adopt? What about adoption? What about foster care?" Right. And I've re- I've really, you know, and I've, I've had to just be really straight with people, and they said no, you know. And then of course, just like, but there's so many native kids, and there's there's kids on the reservation. What about them? And I said, you know, I said. If you feel that passionate about it, you should adopt. I hate when people say that because it's like, that's not your burden. Like, yes, there are so many kids in foster care. There's so many kids in, you know, CDS and all of that. But that is not your burden. Just because somebody went and got drunk at a party and had a Mm -hmm. one night stand and had a kid because they could and didn't want it does not make that your fault. That does not yeah. make that your yeah. responsibility. I hate yeah. when people say and that. Same here. Like, and, and I told people, you know, I said, like, it's not just like you just get a kid. Like, there's a whole process and you have to do paperwork and they check in on you and they check you at work and they, they do home visits. So yeah. there's a, it's a lot bigger than just like, here's a kid. Right. And so... So that's kind of where we're at. Um, you know, sometimes I have these moments like, oh, like one day I'll be like 80 and people will say like, why didn't you have kids? And I'll be like, 
take a seat. Let me tell you a story. story. (laughs) Have a cup of tea. Yeah. So uh, I think I just really want to share because I think, um, you know, you always hear people say, don't give up and just keep fighting. And it's like, I don't feel like in a way that it's giving up. I feel like it's, I've accepted my decision and I know I can't go to Seattle and do IVF like Mm. that. The expense, um, just trying to get my, my job to, you know what I mean? There are just so many factors and how far is Seattle from Alaska? Um, if you fly from Anchorage, I want to say it's about three hours. Three hours. From Fairbanks, I think it may be three and a half. And that's on a flight. That's a flight. Okay. So I feel okay. There are times I do, I do cry. I mean, and I see my supervisor's baby and, and I, I wonder what could have been, you know, this month, I wonder what could have been. Um, but I also know I, I can't go back in time and change that, you know? Right. Um, we, we never got the, the first, the first one tested. Like we, that wasn't an option to get it tested. Um, all the doctors were like, well, at your age, you know, you just have to do IVF. So I know I can't do it. Um, it's just, it's just not something that I have peace with. Like if I do it, like, I, I, I don't know if that makes sense. Like yeah. I'm at peace knowing that, um, that I made the best decision for my life and, you know, for my husband's life. Like, and if it happens, it happens and we'll be really thankful and we did the best we could to find out. Uh, information about ourselves and our bodies but it's okay if it if it doesn't happen I think it's so interesting because you know you'll I think you'll always for the rest of your life have that sort of I don't know maternal grieving like you're grieving what would have been um, what could have been and what could be but you've also made a decision that's best for you guys right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just going to be a balance. It's just going to be something that you balance. And it's so, like, this is just such a different perspective on infertility that I see in the community. Because I feel like everybody's doing everything they can. They're getting into debt. They're traveling. They're, you know, we did it. We <laughs> We lived miserably, I would say for quite a long time, because we just couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. We were wrapped up in this, oh, we need to have a baby. And for us, that was the right thing to do. But I think it's great that you've made peace with that, that, you know, if it happens someday, then it will just be like a cherry on top. And I do really appreciate you opening up to us. I know that you're a very private person, and so sharing your story, I feel like, is going to help a lot of people who are very private people, because there are a lot of anonymous Instagrams out there, um, Uh and they don't share their face, they don't share uh, what's going on, you know, um, or who they are personally, Um, and so when they do share what's going on, it's more of a... Um, they're just seeking support, but 
to hear your story, I think, is going to be really impactful for people. So thank you so much for taking the time to open up about that. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for for that and for actually for having me on. But if someone does want to give me a full IVF cycle, I'll take it, (laughs) (laughs) including the flights. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have you um, ever applied to any of the grants that are available? No, I I haven't because... um, Because a lot of them have application fees. And when I was looking at them, I was like, I'm not going to pay $50 per application like I'm, I'm obviously right. not in a financial position to pay for IVF so why would I pay like $500 applying to all these grants like it just didn't make sense to me right I think it may be like I mean obviously it's like this window is definitely closing and I, I feel that uh, if I really felt you know that I should apply then I will but I the other part of it is all the upfront medical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we just we just came out of our summer season, <laughs> so uh, you're about to hibernate again. We're about to hibernate, <laughs> and so we're like, okay, we'll look at things. You know, like it, winter's kind of like the you know when you kind of it's just gonna be you and him in there and that cozy fire. Yeah, that's a setup for romance right there. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I almost said your real name. <laughs> thank you so yeah. much. I I honestly love sharing people's stories, but I I feel like your story is just so different than any story I've ever heard and any story that I've ever shared. And so I'm just so excited to have you on, and I can't wait for this episode to air and for people to get to know you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you having this platform for women to share their story. Thank you.